Let me add my welcome. My name's Robert. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill, and I get the privilege of leading us in this portion of our service together, and we're taking the summer to go through the New Testament book of James. It's our habit here and our delight to take an entire book of the Bible and to slowly work our way through it thought by thought to understand what God was saying to his people when it was written and what God by the Holy Spirit has to say to his people now. And we're taking our time going through the book of James. And this morning we find ourselves in James chapter four. And we're going to pick up our journey in verse 11. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read it for us. And then I'm going to pray. And then this morning we are going to, by the grace of God, make our way through James chapter four, verse 11, all the way through James chapter 4, verse 12. So, two verses this morning. James 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray, and then we'll see what God has for us in his word. Father, thank you again for the time that we have here this morning. You can do more in the next bit of time than I could do in 50 years. Lord, you take your word by your Holy Spirit and do what only you can do with it and conform our hearts into the likeness of your son. It's transformation into his image that we desire. It's wanting to be like him that we want more than anything. It's a greater delight and joy in you that our hearts crave. So we ask that you do that miracle that only you can do. We ask that you do it for your glory, for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may have heard of a writer. His name is Jerry Bridges. It's a fantastic gift to the church. Jerry Bridges has written a collection of books about the gospel, and in particular, about the application of the gospel to our everyday lives. And Bridges' most recent book came out probably four years ago, four or five years ago, and it was entitled Respectable Sins. Respectable Sins. And I want to read you something that Jerry Bridges said in that book as we get started this morning. Bridges said, we can readily identify sin in the immoral or unethical conduct of people in society at large. And he's talking about the church, talking to us, the church. But we often fail to see it in what I call the acceptable sins of the saints. In effect, we, like society at large, live in a denial of our sin, in particular, our acceptable sins. But even these sins are an assault on the majesty and sovereign rule of God. Even these sins, these acceptable sins, are indeed cosmic treason. Bridges goes on to say that all sin, no matter how subtle it may seem to us, and this subtlety is how he defines these respectable or acceptable sins in the church, no matter how subtle it may seem to us, all sin is malignant. All sin wages war against our souls. Friends, there are few things as destructive and as divisive in the life of God's people than defaming speech about one another. The Bible takes the way that we speak about one another very seriously. 
If we had time, we could trace it all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, from into Jesus and Paul and Peter himself as well. But James, our letter this morning, James takes the way that we speak about one another very seriously. God takes it seriously. James takes it seriously, and he means for God's people to take it seriously as well. And so this morning, for God's glory in us and our greatest joy in him, God has given us Pastor James's words, and Pastor James intends for us to no longer accept or respect the sin of defaming one another. And God intends through Pastor James and the work of his Holy Spirit for you and I to no longer find the defaming speech that is so common amongst us to be acceptable amongst God's people anymore. Let's start with what James has to say and see why this is the case and what hope James gives us for our speech. Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Now, I was tempted to take each section of that sentence and build the sermon around each section of that one sentence, the do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And we could do that, but we don't have time for that. So for the sake of time, we need to understand what it is James is talking about. So when James looks at the church, looks at you and I, and he says, do not speak evil of one another, what's he talking about? What is this speaking evil that James is talking about? Well, some of your Bibles try to help you understand that. So different translations may say different things in that sentence. Some translations might say, do not gossip against one another, brothers. Do not slander one another, brothers. Most translations will use this, do not speak evil of one another. And the different translations are all efforts of the translators to try to help you understand what's involved in this speaking evil. This speaking evil is probably best categorized for us in our language today as anything that defames another person. Jerry Bridges, in that book, Respectable Sins, he has two chapters on the respectable sins of the tongue. And in talking about this particular speaking evil of one another, in James, Bridges says this, respectable sins of the tongue, speaking evil, include gossip, slander, lying, critical speech, even if what you say is true, harsh words, insults, sarcasm, and ridicule. What's it look like to speak evil against one another? What's it look like to defame one another? Let me give you a few definitions that may help paint the picture for you. First definition, we speak evil against one another or we defame one another. Whenever we spread unfavorable information about someone to someone else, even if that information is true. So you don't have to lie to defame someone. But just because you know something that's true about one person, even if it's unflattering, it doesn't give you the right to share it with someone else. Remember, James is talking to the church. These are acceptable and respectable sins often amongst God's people. Think of how often we do this very thing. We, we understand certain aspects of a person's testimony or how God has worked in their life and what they were like when God met them, things that they might not be proud of, but God has brought them through. And we choose to share those points about someone's life with someone else, even though they're true, with the aim that that person might see the person we're talking about a little bit differently. Though it's true, we don't necessarily have the right to share it. 
We do this. We, we spread unfavorable information about people to other people, true or false, when we have a concern about someone, when we've recognized something in someone's life, a pattern of living or a pattern of speech that runs contrary to God's word for his people, and rather than talking to them about it, helping them to see it, that they might repent of it and be restored to the Lord in the midst of it, we share that concern with someone else who can't help us do anything about it because we want them to see that person in a different light. In doing that, we're speaking evil of one another. We're defaming one another. Another definition someone gave was that we speak evil against one another or defame one another when we spread a false statement about someone or intentionally misrepresent them. So it's not hard to to put lying in the category of evil speech when we spread a false rumor or false information about someone to someone else. That's easy for us to see. Less easy for us to come to grips with is when we intentionally misrepresent people. When maybe we heard that someone said this or did this and we take what we heard without really knowing over to someone else and share what we heard but don't really know about that person in an effort to color that person in someone else's eyes. Pastors do it all the time. We take sound bites that we might have heard another pastor said and we go and use them and paint a picture of them in the eyes of other people. We do it about whole churches. We defame God's people. We speak evil of one another. When we spread a false statement about one another or intentionally misrepresent one another to someone else. 10,000 ways that we can defame one another. There are a million ways that you and I can practically speak evil of one another, but the net effect of them all is that we damage someone's reputation or we leave someone with an unfairly negative perception of another person. We leave someone with a picture of another brother and sister in Christ that's unfairly negative. They haven't even had the chance to get to know that person or understand that reality in their life for themselves, but we, faint, we paint a purposely unfairly negative picture of them. James is talking to God's people. We ought not do this to one another. But here's the reality. This kind of defaming speech in all of its forms, it's the air that we actually breathe. I mean, just think for a minute how much of our modern media would not exist anymore if we stopped spreading unfavorable information about people to other people, true or false, or stopped intentionally misrepresenting people. How many of our magazines, how many of our news outlets, how many of our social media applications, how much of it would cease to exist if we simply stopped doing that stuff? But the reality of it is, it's the air we breathe. It's the pattern, it's the priority, it's the life of the world that we live in. And James has already told us that the true religion, pure and undefiled before the Lord, chapter one, verse 27, is to keep ourselves unstained from the world around us. He just told us last week in chapter four that we're not to become friends, to make friends with the world. That's not people, that's priorities and attitudes and intentions and thoughts. And the reality of it is, this is the air we breathe and we become so accustomed to it, we begin to accommodate it and we recognize that the world around us gets what it wants, it seems, by defaming other people and we just begin to accommodate. We begin to recognize that we think we can begin to get what we want by putting someone else down. And James says it ought not be so. 
God's people are not to speak evil of each other. This respectable sin amongst the church, this thing we tend to wink at, this thing we tend to tolerate, this thing we we tend to accommodate ourselves to, it needs to be exposed for what it is. And James is going to expose the truth of this kind of defaming speech to us. It's divisive and it's damaging. But we need to see it for what it is that we might be moved to cleanse our hands of it. We need to see it for what it is and come face to face with what it is so that we can no longer make it something that's acceptable or respectable amongst us. So this morning, we want to see how James exposes the underbelly, really, of this defaming speech and then what hope James gives us for our guilt. First thing that we need to recognize about this defaming speech, and this is really easy, it's really simple. It won't take a lot of argumentation for you to understand this. Defaming speech, whenever we speak this way about one another, it's actually very cowardly. Defaming speech is cowardly. Spreading false information or even unflattering information about someone else to someone else with an eye towards diminishing their reputation in the eyes of another person, however it, whatever form it takes, it's actually very cowardly. It avoids the honest and often courageous work of actually going directly to someone with whatever concern or observation we actually have. When we defame someone, speak evil of them to another brother or sister in Christ, we're actually exposing the fact that we don't have the guts to be honest. Defaming speech is cowardly. But James wants us to really hone in and focus on something else. Another aspect of defaming speech that we need to come face to face with if we're going to see it for what it is. If we're ever going to stop respecting it and accepting it amongst our relationships with each other, we've got to see it for what it is. And James says that this kind of defaming speech, it actually exposes a lack of humility in your heart. Defaming speech exposes a lack of humility in your heart. A lack of humility really in two directions. A lack of humility towards one another and a lack of humility towards God's word, towards God's law. We'll take them one at a time. Why does James say that this kind of defaming speech exposes a lack of humility towards one another? Well, it's the context of what he said. James has just called us as God's people to recognize and to remember and to celebrate the God who has loved us and saved us is a God who continues to give more grace. And because of his zeal for his glory in us and our joy for him, you and I as his people are meant to submit ourselves to him, to humble ourselves before him that he might lift us up. And the very next thing James says is that God's people ought not talk down about one another. That's what the word literally means, to talk down about or down to. So James has a play on words here. For those that are humbling themselves in repentance before the Lord, recognizing the God of grace who gives more grace, who's zealous for our joy in him and his glory in us, when we humble ourselves before him in repentance, our hearts are in no position to talk down about other people. So the more we're drawing near to God and he's drawing near to us, the more we're communing with him and recognizing the reality of our sin, the more we're mourning over our sin and recognizing his mercy to us and humbling ourselves and he exalts us, we're not in a position of heart to talk down about other people. James says this kind of talking down, this kind of defaming speech, this kind of evil speech, 
Whenever it occurs amongst God's people, it's exposing a lack of humility in the heart, a lack of humility towards one another, but also a lack of humility towards God's word. Listen to what James says. The one who speaks against a brother, speaks evil of a brother, defames a brother, or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. What's James saying? He's saying whenever we defame one another, whatever form this kind of speech takes, whenever it occurs amongst God's people, it's exposing a lack of humility towards one another because we think our heart is in a position to cast that kind of judgment upon another brother or sister, but our heart is also putting itself in a position to judge God's word. When we judge the law, do you know what we're doing? We're deciding for ourselves whether or not the law applies to us. That's what he's talking about. When we speak this way about one another, talking down about one another to another brother or sister, what we're effectively doing is saying that God's law does not apply to me. My heart plays by its own rules. My heart has its own law. Why do I say that? Well, when James talks about the law here, he most likely in context is talking about something he's already mentioned, the royal law back in chapter two. James talked about the royal law being Jesus' summation of the Old Testament prophets that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and, quoting Leviticus 19, 18, to love our neighbor as ourself. And James says that when we defame another brother or sister in Christ, speak evil about another brother or sister in Christ, we are actually judging God's law. We're actually saying that the law there was wrong that God's law doesn't apply to me. Not only in defaming one another are we breaking God's law, his word that says as brothers or sisters we're meant to love each other, as we love ourselves, we're actually saying that the the law was wrong to tell us to do that. Our hearts are playing by their own set of rules. Now James says we're no longer doers of the law, obedient to the law of God, but we're judges of the law. So instead of seeing God's word to us, God's gracious direction and law for us to love our neighbor as ourselves, instead of seeing it and obeying it and recognizing that it applies to us, we become a law unto ourselves. So James says this kind of speaking evil of one another, this kind of defaming one another, it exposes a lack of humility in our heart towards one another and it exposes a lack of humility in our heart towards God's law itself. Defaming speech, we need to see it for what it is. It's cowardly, it's arrogant, it exposes a lack of humility, but this kind of defaming speech, this kind of speaking evil of one another that James is talking about, it's also very indulgent. I mean, just be honest with yourselves for a minute. I don't think I need to give you two seconds to come up with a moment in your life when you know you could be found guilty of the kind of defaming speech towards another brother or sister in Christ that James is talking about. Maybe passed on an unfavorable story about another brother or sister in Christ, shared a concern that wasn't really yours to share with the hopes that whoever you were sharing it with might see that person differently. I don't think I need to give you a lot of time to come up in your mind, with an instance when you might be found guilty of this. Here's what I want you to do, though. I want you to be very honest with yourself in that moment, with that instance, and ask yourself, what was really the motivation underneath you saying that and doing that? What is it that you really wanted? 
when you communicated that very tasty bit of information, when you cast that particular shadow over that person's reputation, what was the motive behind it? I mean, don't we defame people? Don't we lower people's reputation in the eyes of others in a very not so subtle attempt to exalt ourselves? To lift ourselves up in someone else's eyes? One writer said it this way, and I've never heard it said so clearly, and maybe it was just what I needed to hear this particular week with regards to this in my own heart, but it, it hit me like a lightning bolt. This writer said, when we speak this way about one another, when we defame one another, we are actually robbing one another's reputation to get the drug of self-flattery. I mean, doesn't it feel good when you pass that little bit of information on? When you know that that person is going to look at that person you're talking about differently, but in that light, they're going to see you differently? Doesn't it feel good? These kinds of words, the writer of Proverbs says, are like tasty morsels. This writer said they're like a drug. And when we defame one another, we're actually robbing another's reputation to get that drug of self-flattery. It's indulgent. But it helped me see something that James was saying here about this kind of defaming speech in a way that I hadn't seen it before. This kind of defaming speech, it's not just cowardly. It's not just exposing a lack of humility in our hearts towards others and towards God's law. It's not just self-indulgent. This kind of defaming speech amongst God's people is actually an act of theft. It's an act of theft. John Bloom, who writes for Desiring God Ministries, he, he said this, and this was so helpful for me this week. He quotes Proverbs 22.1, and he says, the Bible tells us that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. And so in this context, he says, a good name represents a person's character, which is the most valuable thing about their identity. A good name is who we are in the minds of others. And since relationships trade in the currency of trust, a reputation is a very precious asset. Make sense? Whenever we handle a person's name, who they are in the minds of others, we're actually stewarding a treasure that belongs to them. If we damage a person's reputation unjustly, we're stealing their good name. We're vandalizing their character. This causes very real and sometimes long-lasting damage to people because restoring a devalued name is extremely difficult. The kind of defaming speech that James is talking about, this speaking evil of one another, it's actually an act of theft. We're robbing people of their good reputation, their good name in the eyes of other people, but then James really goes into something else. There's another act of theft happening. When you and I defame one another the way that he's talking about, we're not only robbing someone of their good name and their reputation, we're actually attempting to rob God of his rightful authority. A much greater act of theft is going on. Look at what James says in verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. Whenever we speak evil against one another, whenever we talk down about one another, Whenever we defame one another, 
whether that be slander or gossip or judgment or ridicule or mockery or whatever form it may take, we are actually attempting to rob God of his rightful authority. We are assuming ourselves to be in his position as judge. We are in effect trying to remove him from the throne that we might put ourselves there. Because whenever we speak this way, we're assuming ourselves to be a judge over the law the law which rightly reflects his character and his person, and we are exalting ourselves into his place and our opinions above his law. It's theft. It's not only robbing someone of their reputation, but it's an attempt at robbing God of his rightful authority. James wants us to see the true reality of this acceptable and even respectable sin amongst God's people, this this act of defaming one another. He wants us to see it for what it really is. Until we come face to face with the reality of this thing, we'll continue to accommodate it. And so James says we ought not, do not defame, speak evil, talk down about, slander, gossip. Don't do it to one another. It shouldn't be named amongst God's people. And so James says, who are you? Who who are you to judge your neighbor? James loves rhetorical questions. But but this question, if we begin to sit on it and think about it for just a minute, helps us to see the hope that James offers for guilty people. Because the reality of it is, when he says, who are you? He's already helped us to see we're slanderers. I mean, When it comes to defaming speech, when it comes to the kind of speaking evil he's talking about amongst God's people, our guilt cannot be denied. There is no argument that any of us can offer to try to exonerate ourselves from this charge. We are all guilty of the kind of defaming speech that James is talking about here. Our guilt can't be denied. That's who we are in one sense which is why what James has already told the church, what James just told the church in chapter four, starting in verse six, that God gives more grace. Submit to him. Draw near to him. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. See your sin for what it really is. Allow it to break you. Begin to mourn and weep for what it is. Humble yourselves, James says. Repent. Humble yourselves before the Lord that he might lift you up. James 4, 6 through 10 speaks directly to what he's saying here in 11 and 12. He wants us to see that no sin should be acceptable or respectable amongst God's people. That we're guilty of the sin of defaming speech, of speaking evil against one another. Recognizing it for what it is, is cowardly and indulgent and arrogant and an act of theft against one another and an attempted act of theft against God ought to make us mourn, ought to make us weep when we recognize just how prevalent it is in our own hearts. Recognizing who we are Oh, it's also the key to recognizing the hope that we have because there is great hope. As John Newton said, for while I am indeed a great sinner, you and I, we're we're indeed great sinners. Specifically to what James is saying, oh man, we're great slanderers. We're great gossips. Many of us have mastered the fine art of defaming speech. 
While we are indeed great sinners, Jesus is yet a greater Savior. See, James says, who are you? Because he wants you to remember the hope for your guilt is found solely in the gospel. James is talking to people who he has already said that God has chosen, that God has purposed of his own will to set his love upon and to bring forth, to make new by his word that we would be a first fruit among his creation. God has already set his affection upon you. God has already drawn you to himself. God has already redeemed you and made you right before him in his son. But the reality of it is, like Isaiah said, all of us, every single one of us like sheep, We're prone to wander. We're prone to go astray. All of us have turned, every one, Isaiah said, to his own way. James is writing to a people who recognize the grace of God, but also recognize that every single day in the presence and temptation of sin, our hearts are prone to wander, prone to go their own direction, tempted to defame the name of someone else, to exalt their own reputation in people's eyes. So so where do we go when we recognize that though he has saved us and redeemed us and reconciled us to himself, that his Holy Spirit is at work in us, when we recognize that you and I are prone to wander and we see it, we read James chapter 4, 11 through 12, and we recognize our guilt, we can't deny the fact that we defame one another, that we speak evil against one another, where do we go with that guilt? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, the Lord laid on his son the iniquity of us all. The hope for the guilty is found in the gospel. Blessed, the psalmist says, are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Paul told the church in Corinth that it was on the cross And the body of his son Jesus being nailed to that cross, beaten and tortured and suffering, that God was not counting your trespasses against you. He was counting your trespasses, your slander, your gossip, your defaming speech. He was counting it against his son in your place. I am a great sinner. That's what James helps me to see. Who am I? I'm a great sinner. But who am I? Oh, Jesus is a greater savior yet still. My heart, it it, it looks with with expectation, with with hope, with, with longing to the day when the presence of sin and the temptation of sin will be gone. I won't be like a sheep that wanders. I won't be like a sheep that wants to go its own way. But right now, in the here and now, I still do. Every single day, like a sheep, my heart wanders in one direction or another. But praise God, the gospel is for wandering sheep. The gospel is for sinners. You and I, brothers and sisters, as James talks about us, we're simply saved sinners. We look for the day when the presence of sin and the temptation of sin is gone, but in the meantime, when we recognize and see that we have wandered, our hands are dirty. Oh, Jesus is still a greater savior yet still. The gospel, the good news It's for people who know they're guilty of defaming their brothers and sisters. And it's when we recognize our guilt and return to the gospel, 
remember who God is for us in his son, who God is in us by his Holy Spirit, and who we are now hidden in his son, that we're reminded when James says, who are you? We're not just slanderers, we're not just sinners, but we're sons and daughters. God's made us his very own. James talks about us being brothers, talks about us being family. When we return to the gospel and we recognize our guilt and we're reminded of who God is for us and who we are because of Christ and who we are in him before the Lord, we're reminded again that this kind of defaming speech, this kind of speaking evil of one another in whatever form it may take amongst us, it's inconsistent with who we are. We begin to see it for what it is. We begin to see its inconsistency with the gospel. He's made us a family. He's made us brothers and sisters. He's made us, as he says here, neighbors. This kind of behavior and speech amongst God's people, it's not consistent with who he's made us. See, every single one of us stand together on the ground of his undeserved mercy. We're all now brothers and sisters of the same father of grace. When we recognize this again, When we return back to this again, we realize in our heart and are reminded again in our heart that none of us has any superiority over the other. None of us can speak in heart to another in a position that allows us to rightfully talk down about another brother or sister. This kind of speech, it's inconsistent with who we are. That's why when James says, who are you? It's meant to drive us back to the gospel that we might remember again by God's grace who we really are because it's when we forget who we are in Christ and what that means in our relationships for one another. When we forget this, it's when we find ourselves being more tempted to pass on that juicy bit of information to someone else. It's, it's then when we forget who we are in Christ and who we are meant to be for one another that we find our hearts giving in to this temptation to see our own name exalted at the expense of someone else's reputation. Listen, if you and I, as James says, are are drawing near, if we're drawing near to the Lord with the expectation that he is drawing near to us, if we're humbling ourselves before the Lord that he might exalt us, here's something that happens. Not only do we begin to see this sin for what it is, this, this, this defaming speech for what it is, This reality of the gospel begins to cultivate in our hearts a new desire for one another. Rather than seeing one another in in moments of temptation as a means to an end, we begin to want for one another the joy in the Lord that we're experiencing in the gospel. When you and I draw near to the Lord every single day and are reminded of who he is for us and who we are in Christ because of his mercy and grace, what we begin to want for each other is that same kind of joy, that same kind of affirmation, that same kind of delight. What we begin to want for one another is that each of us finds our greatest joy in God alone. When we draw near and return to the gospel. We remind ourselves of who we really are because of God's grace. He begins to cultivate a new desire for each other's joy in our hearts. And do you know what that makes a community of people? Do you know what that makes us as a people? It makes us a very difficult people to slander around. It makes us the kind of people that are not safe to speak in a defaming way around. Because what we want most for one another 
It's our delight and our joy in the Lord himself. And so when a brother or sister comes to us and begins to speak about another brother or sister in a way that would find itself in this category of defaming speech, what we want for the one speaking and what we want for the one speaking about is a greater joy in the Lord than whatever they're deriving in the way that they're speaking. So what happens is when we detect this kind of speech, we're very quick to shut it down. We're not a safe people to slander around. So we begin to hear it and we say, hold on a second, real quick, before you keep talking. Have you gone and spoken to that person directly yet? And if you're a little nervous about that, I'll go with you. I'll help you. They begin to tell you a story about someone else that, that doesn't cast the greatest light on that person because of what the story's about. You stop them real quick. Hold on a second. Has that person given you the permission to tell me that story about them? Is that something they want you sharing about them or would they like to do that themselves? Just, just stop real quick. I mean, James has already talked to us about the power in our words and our tongue. Our tongue, like a spark, can set an entire forest on fire. As you and I draw near to the Lord and he draws near to us and we're reminded again on a daily basis of who we are in him and what that makes us for each other and our desires for each other begin to change and we want joy for each other in the Lord. When we begin to hear this kind of speech, we become almost like firefighters in a sense. We put that thing out quick. We know that that kind of speech has the capacity to destroy and divide. So we want to put it out. We want to see the one speaking find joy in the Lord rather than whatever joy they think they're deriving speaking that way about another brother or sister. And we want the one they're speaking about to find joy in the Lord. That's what we want for each other. I mean, just for a moment, imagine what would happen in a, in a church family, a church community like ours, if you and I became experts on how God was working in one another's lives. In our house, we talk about being treasure hunters or hunters of grace. But what if you and I, as a people, became experts on how God was working in one another's lives and what we recognized as God's grace working in one another's lives became, became the, the fodder and the substance of our conversations with each other? What if our conversations were rich with this kind of acknowledgement of how God is working in each other's lives? What if those of you who are super active on Facebook, what if your posts on one another's walls became reflections of this kind of acknowledgement of God's grace? What if you started posting, hey, brother or sister, I recognize that God has done this in your life or is doing this in your life. I've been so encouraged by it. Praise God, keep going in him. What if that became the way that we were known for speaking to one another? What would a community like ours, a church family like ours, be like if that's what defined our conversation? I mean, this is the very thing that Paul, that, that Peter, that Jesus, that, that even James is, is talking about is meant, to, is meant to mark God's people. Paul, he, he wrote to the church in Ephesus and said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's a defaming speech, speaking evil. Rather, but what is good for necessary edification Necessary encouragement that whatever comes out of your mouth might impart grace to your hearers. He told the church in Rome, Romans 15 too, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Peter, 1 Peter chapter three, he goes on to say that this kind of speech, this kind of encouragement, this kind of blessing, this kind of building up, it's the very calling of us as Christians Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, 
Bless, for to this you were called. This kind of speech that edifies, that encourages, that blesses, that acknowledges the work of God in someone else's life, that points out the grace of God that's active in someone else's life, it's the very opposite of the kind of evil speech or defaming speech that James is talking about. When we speak this way to one another, where we recognize and acknowledge what God is doing in someone else's life, rather than exposing an arrogance and a lack of humility, it actually exposes a rich humility that's going on in our hearts because we're recognizing what God is doing in someone else's life. Rather than trying to speak in a way that steals their reputation, we're actually wanting to build up their joy and their confidence in who God is for them. Rather than trying to pad our reputation through spreading this kind of information about people, we, we relish in people's joy in the Lord. But here's something I, I want to say as we, as we get to the conclusion here. I'm not very good at this. I'm not the greatest encourager of people. It's not because I lack a skill in it. It's because my heart is very selfish. And so as I was thinking about what it might be like for a people to have this kind of rich encouragement and affirmation about one another, a people who were drawing near to the Lord so richly and so does a daily way, reminding themselves of who they are in God and that overflowing in the way we speak to each other. I was reminded of a, of a book that I had read years ago that I made a lot of notes about that I probably should have read every single quarter for the last three years. It was written by another pastor named Sam Crabtree. It's a pastor in Minneapolis. And I just want to read what he said about this kind of affirming speech, this kind of building up amongst God's people. I just want to paint a picture for you of what God, for his glory and his grace, might do in us as we draw near to him and, and we seek to encourage one another and who he is. I want you to listen to this picture. Crabtree says that this kind of affirming speech, this kind of encouragement, this kind of blessing amongst God's people, it's like an invigorating, sudsy shower after a long day of manual labor. It's like a cool rain after a long, hot, dry spell. This kind of encouragement delivers a combination of relief and respite and hope and optimism and satisfaction and energy. This kind of encouragement is life-giving. It blesses. I mean, who here could disagree with any of that? When someone else has helped you see how God is working in your life and has encouraged you in God's grace in your life and what he's doing in your life, who in here could disagree that it's not life-giving, refreshing and blessing? Crabtree says that when God transforms us and affirms us, and so as we draw near to him every single day and he affirms who we are because of his grace towards us, he reminds us of who we are every single day. He says that when we are transformed by God and God affirms us, we're meant to overflow in that kind of affirmation to others. Why? Because we want them to enjoy the refreshment of being affirmed and encouraged that we enjoy when God affirms and encourages us. What would it look like? I'm so bad at this. What would it actually look like? Crabtree says that we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love God, those he's called and predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that's the goal for you and I, to be conformed to the image and likeness of God's Son. So he says the best encouragements, the best affirmations, the best blessings, 
The opposite of this defaming speech with one another. The best affirmations acknowledge and encourage progress in the, in the direction that fulfills the very purpose for living on this earth. They acknowledge and encourage progress in the glorifying of God by becoming more like Christ. The best encouragement amongst God's people is to affirm Christ's likeness in them. Because when you affirm Christ's likeness and God's work in others, you are affirming, he says, the very thing that Jesus purchased with his own blood. And when you and I become a people, eager and active in the building up of one another, in what God is doing in us, when we become experts on God's grace at work in one another's lives, and we don't just see it, but we actually acknowledge it, We actually take the step to encourage one another in it. Crabtree says that God is glorified in us when we affirm the work he's done and is doing in others. We're giving him the praise he deserves by acknowledging the work that he is doing in the lives of other people. So the more we draw near to God and he draws near to us, as we humble ourselves before him and allow him to exalt us, as we're reminded on a daily basis of who he is for us in Christ, who he is in us, and what that means for who we are before him. When we remember, like James says, who we are, what we want for one another is changed. How we speak to one another is changed. You and I will, not, will no longer become people who accept and tolerate defaming speech about one another, rather our our energy and our our passion and our desire is to see one another built up, to see one another encouraged in the gospel, to put out the fires of defaming speech and to see one another have a greater joy and satisfaction in who God is for us in his son. James says, don't speak evil. Do not defame one another, brothers. This morning, as we prepare to respond to God's word and and move into a time of reflection, I I just want to ask you, in the next couple of minutes, we're going to allow you to just reflect on God's word, and we're going to trust God to do work in your heart in this momentary, small amount of time. And I'm just going to ask you this, where, where in light of Pastor James's words do you need to own your own sin? Where, if you're willing to allow God to bring to your mind and to expose to your heart, where might there be a brother or sister in Christ that you need to go and apologize to and seek forgiveness from because you've defamed them to someone else and they probably don't even know it? Who might God be leading you to go and seek forgiveness from? Where in your mind, let him allow you to see. Let him show you that you might be able to weep over it. Where, where have you not spoken this kind of life and affirmation and encouragement to one another, but rather you've actually worked to bring someone else down in someone else's eyes? Allow God to show you. Allow him to expose the reality of this sin, even where it lurks in your own heart. It's a gift of grace, remember, to see it and be able to mourn over it. We need to see it for what it is if we're gonna humble ourselves before him that he might lift us up. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. Rather, as Paul said, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. We're gonna have a moment to reflect and after we reflect, we're gonna respond to God's word by receiving communion. 
And this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's good news. You're a son or a daughter of God. You're brothers and sisters together. And as a family, we're going to respond and receive communion this morning. And when we do, we'll be remembering and considering the cross of Jesus Christ, his body broken, his blood shed, the way and wisdom and mercy of God that made a way for us to be able to draw near to him, that we might be assured of his continued forgiveness and cleansing. And so as you prepare to come and respond, I just want to read these words of the writer of Hebrews to you. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us together lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Let us look to Jesus together, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he's now seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Who endured from sinners like you and I, the kind of defaming speech and hostility James is talking about. He did it that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you that you have promised that you are a God of more grace and that you're able to make all grace abound so that your people, your sons and your daughters, having all sufficiency in all things, may be able to abound in every good work, in the work of encouraging, in the work of blessing, in the work of building up, the work of laying aside every sin that so easily entangles and encumbers us. God, this morning, you can do more in two minutes than I can do in 20 years. And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to see not only our guilt, but you would help us to see your sufficient grace. But we ask that you would do that for your glory, for our joy, in Jesus' name. Amen.